The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. Hi everyone, I am Macca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast live once again on Port Fan Radio. Fishing Rick is away, so we are joined by two legends of the forum. Uh, we are speaking with Captain Hefo. How are you, mate? Yeah, guys. Thanks, Macca, for having me on again. Uh, too easy, buddy. And also, Tarabi. Hello. <laughs> Here he is. It's yeah. begun already. I love it. It has. Hey, look, I've got to play the role of Rick somehow, so why not just be a jester for the entire proceedings? Yes. Do, it. Do you have a squeaky chair? No, I don't. But I if that was a squeaky. euphemism, then... Uh... I'm sadly mistaken. Sorry. I actually have a squeaky chair, so if you need the roll field, you just uh, just yell out. I'll do a big uh, a big yawn. I love it. That's great. Well, look, it's a pity we couldn't be here under uh, a little bit of more happier circumstances, I guess. No, no, not this weekend. Hmm. Bugger. Oh, well, let's get uh, straight into it and do our love and hate. I reckon we'll we'll give all, all of our three loves first. Uh, Triby, do you want to start, mate? Yeah, absolutely. Although, where can you find a love after that debacle? Where is the love? <laughs> yeah, where where is it? Because, oh, how do you survive that, really? Mm. I mean, I'll give my love first, and this is a little bit of a left field that will probably ruin both of your hates. My love is for Shane McInerney. Umpire Shane McInerney. (laughs) Because no matter how gloomy the weather is or how shitty life might become, I could be homeless subsisting solely on the brown out of my own poo. And I know I'll (laughs) never be that loathsome poodle-headed fudge knuckle. What a sad excuse of human carbon that man is. That is just about the best thing ever said on this podcast. <laughs> what a description. <laughs> That's the best description ever. You're welcome. Oh, I love it. Well said. <laughs> Hefo, can you match that, mate? Uh, I hope so. Uh, my love is actually, I went to uh, Saturday's game at, at Alberton, so my love was uh, a mixture of, of Amon and uh, also Impey. Uh, he came back into the side and um, had a pretty good... Uh, display. If anyone was there, they'd probably agree. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see him back in the side. Uh, hopefully next week. Um, and Amon, oh, geez, he, he's so close for a debut, and and he goes back to the SNFL and he, he he plays games like he did on the weekend. And you just think, when's his time going to come? And when it does, I'm going to be uh, it's going to be my love again for that weekend because I can't wait for this guy to jump on the big stage and show us what he's got. That's it. Well, it could well be this week. It'd be good to Throw get some fresh blood in there and see what they can do. Someone that's Absolutely. fit. I think, yeah, if, if some, anyone needs a, a rest, and I won't, I won't name them just yet. We'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, especially the blokes like that are knocking the door down, so you've got to give them a shot when they're, when they're fit and firing. That's it. Well, look, my love this week is uh, Bobby Carlisle. He is just in absolute mental form right now, probably career-best form. I think he's only given up about two goals in the last four weeks. Um, you know, he's defending well, spoiling well. Uh, he runs so hard from the defensive 50, and I still think he deserves more kudos than he gets around the league. You know, it wasn't that long ago that he was, you know, dropped for poor preparation and looked like his uh, career may fizz out a little bit. But, um, you know, the last two and a half years, you know, he's been phenomenal. He's got a bit of the uh, Jay Schultz delayed credit, I think. Like, mm. I think when you go around the league and listen to people talk about Alipati Carlisle, they still kind of uh, refer to him like he's that player that we had you know, three, four years ago where, you know, he had that really promising 2009 that started with a bang. Obviously, he kept Matthew Lloyd scoreless and ran up the field and kicked a goal himself. And he looked primed as a 22, 23-year-old fullback to be one of the good ones, almost Mel Michael-esque. And then he just, along with the rest of the side, really fell into a hole with his form and fitness. But as you've said, 2013, 2014, I mean, even 2012, he wasn't bad. I mean, there was a reason why we gave him yeah. that four-year contract, which people scoffed at at the time. But what more can you say about the guy? He's just become an absolute rock back there. 
He's almost acted it's as a, a, a rebounding defender. I mean, there's times where he's he does those repeat run efforts, and you just think you you, you remind yourself sometimes that he's over 100 kilo, is he not? And he'd be 190 something centimeters, and he's just he's outrunning some of these uh, some of these forwards that are they're meant to be keeping the ball in. I think it's just a credit to himself how he's turned his career around, and you know, in my opinion, he should probably be all Australian fullback if it was picked right now. Absolutely, yeah, definitely at this point in time. But we know that's not going to happen because no. Collingwood's Jack Frost only needs to hold a mediocre 20-year-old centre-half forward to two goals three or something, and he <laughs> automatically gets the kudos as the premier defender yeah. in the competition. It's just ridiculous. Mm. No, well said. And look, uh, our hate this week, Trivi. What's your hate? Look, my hate is probably the hot take emphasis on crowds that we seem to have. I mean, it's all very well and good to have the, you know, there's almost like an arms race for who can have the highest crowds, be it the Crows or Porter or the rest of it. And it kind of came to a head yesterday when we got 38,500 to Sunday twilight, Mother's Day, rain forecast. It was forecast to be a horrible day. We're playing West Coast to, what, they have maybe 25 fans in this state. And... Mm. It ended up being the highest Mother's Day crowd across the entire AFL for 17 or 18 years. And I'm hearing people, you know, even our own supporters saying it was an average or disappointing crowd. I mean, what what are these people huffing? I mean, are they out the back of a 7-Eleven in Furl smelling some petrol? Because honestly, they <laughs> just have to... They've just got to take a good hard look at themselves. I mean, we would have killed to get 38,500 on a Friday night against Collingwood, you know, going for top spot five mm. to ten years ago. And we've absolutely pulled out a fantastic crowd number given the circumstances. And I think rather than, you know, people going, oh, well, you know, our own fans are saying it's ordinary. We've got Crows fans saying it was laughable. I mean, turn it up. It was, I reckon it was fantastic crowd figure. So that's all. I was hoping for over 40. But, uh, you know, yeah. 38.5 is still pretty good. Well, it's very good. And Adelaide Oval does look packed, um, even at 38,000 people. I think that uh, at the start, you'd struggle to, to see too many groups of seats that were that were vacant um, across the ground. But it feels really well, I think. It does appear to, to look like there's people there. If there's over maybe 30,000 people, I think that it, it will it will look packed. Yeah. And it keeps the sound in as well. It sounds like there's a lot more people there than there actually is. No, absolutely. Spot on. I mean, it would have been nice to get 40,000, but it was a good spectacle on television. From where I was and obviously where Hefo was, we made plenty of noise all night. And, you know, 38,500, I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at, I don't think, given the circumstances. No, definitely not. Well, Hef, what's your, uh, what's your hate this week? My hate was uh, was Aaron Young. Um, he, he obviously didn't do a whole lot on uh, on last night. Uh, ended up being dragged in the third and uh, and, and subbed out of the game. Uh, didn't have an injury. Obviously, we had a few other people that we could have um, could have bought off for for management. We had a couple of blokes on as uh, as we've said on on, on one leg. But um, my hate is it's mainly because of the hype that he had last week. He uh, or he had that article written about him. I actually saved it because I knew I was coming on and I thought, if Aaron Young has a great game, I'm going to pull that out and I'm going to quote some stuff from him and I'm going to give him a great big rap. And my hate is that I cannot give him a rap. He, he would have been my love <laughs> if he'd done all right. Mm. But um, he, he, he probably brought himself, uh, yeah, brought himself down a little bit in, in my books from sort of last night's game. But um, he's still very young and he can get himself back into it. And I know that he's... Uh, He's got that inside midfielder um, body that he can just throw about, and yeah, I really want him to get back on the uh, back on the horse and get back in, in good books with Kenny. Yeah, he uh, he kind of went from looking like a moneyball special to a fringe player in the space of uh, one game, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he did. he's been really impressive for the past couple of weeks. He had some shaky moments against Adelaide, but he was a real battering ram. But uh, yeah, against West Coast. Unfortunately, against a midfield which I thought would have been about at his level for clearances, for speed, and all the rest of it, he just never seemed to get going. And I don't know why we subbed him. Why we subbed him when we did? Because I think he had six clearances, but at the time he was subbed, and I know his disposal wasn't flash. But I did think it was a bit strange that, given we had uh, Brad Ebert on one leg, 
And also Schultz hobbling around in the forward line doing three-fifths of nothing because of the injury there. I did find it a little bit strange that Kenny almost lost faith in him and decided to pull the pin to bring on Archie. Yeah, there was obviously something that he did that um, that Kenny and the coaching staff weren't liking. I'm not too sure what it was. I thought he was still pretty good around the packs, but yeah, I mean, he just needs to find more of the ball. That's that's his mm. issue is, you know, when he gets it, something good generally happens. He just needs to basically double the amount of times he gets the ball, which is, uh, which is going to be pretty hard to do, especially with Wines coming back in the side. And do we think there's still a spot in the side for Aaron Young when uh, Ollie's back? Well, it depends who um, who else is uh, is still in the side when that. Well, I guess he's going to be back this week, isn't he? So we're hoping so. Um, I think Aaron Young this week does play. I don't think that he uh, he deserves to be dropped just yet. Um, but uh, yeah, when maybe when Pollock comes back and we have a have a full strength side and we deal with the injuries we have then, and he, he could find his way out. But you know, that's that's a fair while away just yet. So I hope that he'd. Uh, Keep himself in contention until you know. Until then, I think we definitely still need um, one of those sort of second string inside midfielders to to take the pressure off of Boak and and Gray and those sorts of players. And Young is the perfect guy to do that. Whether uh, Andrew Moore kicks him out of the side or not, I'm not too sure. Whether that might be this week or in a few weeks' time. I mean, in the end, uh, you know, competition for spots is uh, is only going to be a good thing. Yeah, we just need Andrew Moore to get on the horse, don't we? Seriously, I mean. He would have been primed to come in and really grab a spot by the throat and make it his own for a good two, three-week period. And he obviously he had the suspension with the umpire. And, you know, that was dis- the result was as disappointing as Andrew Moore's actions were. And, you know, we could look at that as a blown opportunity. But on the plus side, Andrew Moore's now fit. He will have completely got over the hamstring injury. And uh, we'll look to see him have a real crack with Archie and Young and Mitchell and try to get a spot. My hate this week is uh, our lack of composure in tight games again. And uh, look, I think this needs to be split into two parts. I think if we're in front and defending a lead, I think we seem to be all right. But if we are down by you know one or two goals and uh, needing to find a couple of goals in the last 10 minutes to win, we just can't seem to do it. Um, and I got shot down earlier this year, I think both on the podcast and on the forum by saying that we struggle in tight games. And I, and I do stand by that. And look, since the start of 2014, we've lost against Sydney, Essendon, Adelaide, Collingwood, Frio twice, and Hawthorne, where I think we've squandered many opportunities late with either poor entry inside 50, you know, players going for the Hail Mary and kicking it out on the full, you know, missing from dead in front, missed handballs. We just seem to lose all semblance of calm and composure, um, you know, in those last sort of 10 minutes, we're needing that one or two more goals. And personally, I think it's probably a little bit of a concern. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially the Frio game, that was that was a killer. It was, you know, the start of the season. You really wanted to to come out come out all right. But um, yeah, I mean, our recent form uh, with with tight games hasn't been probably totally where uh, where we want it to be. Um, I don't know if it's uh, if it's the the guys just not getting each other up, or if it's you know, every time you see these tight games, and you saw it again last night, the leaders do stand up, and you got Boke and. And Gray, in that last quarter, they really did um, try and take the game and uh, and really settle it down. But it could be just the people that um, that are sort of uh, behind them directly, and they're just not following the lead and or, or getting up when um, when the right time is. And uh, yeah, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but uh, I know there's there's definitely an issue there, and it needs to be addressed. I remember a very similar match last year when we lost to Essendon, and. Uh, after dragging back and dragging back and dragging back, we got to within a kick and we just seemed to conspire to create every sort of miss opportunity and mistake that we could possibly do to not get that goal that would have seen us get over the line with the crowd going wild. I mean, I remember asking one of uh, my mates in front of me, how long was left, how long was left? Because he was texting his friend at home, he was watching it live and you know, I think we were within a goal with five minutes 20 left on the clock. And I thought to myself, mm. oh, plenty of time. You know, our class is going to shine through. We're going to get the ball movement and the scoreboard pressure we need. But it just didn't seem to come. We just seemed to be panicked and, you know, one or two extra handballs or trying to shimmy and make a harder kick when we were ignoring leads. And you've just got to wonder, 
you know, this isn't a team that doesn't know how to win. We've been forged in the fire of two consecutive Septembers where we've beaten Collingwood at the MCG. We've beaten Fremantle at Subiaco. And you would have thought that with that experience under our belts, we'd be able to take care of an opponent such as West Coast at home. But it's almost as if our memories have been wiped and we've forgotten how to win those tough, hard September-like games. Yeah. Mm. We just seem to panic too much, especially going inside 50 and, I'm going to call it feng shui football from now on because we just seem on this never-ending search for the perfect, you know, forward entry, the perfect goal. It's almost like watching Arsenal play soccer, you know, where they everyone has to touch the ball and then you, you know, kick it over your head and it goes in the net sort of thing. And it's just never going to happen. And I think in our search for always wanting to play this, you know, perfect team-first football, I think especially up forward, we've almost lost our instinct on just how to get it done basically. And I think that's a bit of a problem. Well, was it Pittard in the last minute when he ignored a lead by Ryder, I think it was, into the forward 50 to kind of, you know, uh, shimmy onto his left and try to go for the big launch with his... I don't know whether he was trying to go for goal from 60 metres out or try to put it to the square, but he ignored a perfectly good lead to launch it long. And, of course, it came off the side of his boot and it was out in the full and it just deflated the crowd and his teammates. And Yeah. You know, we, you, you, it's it's just not winning football. It's it's not even you know March, April, May downhill skiing football. It's just bad football, no matter uh, what part of the season we're at. And I don't know where where it's crept in. There are actually a lot of um, entries in that last quarter that we uh, we made, but uh, couldn't couldn't make anything of it. I'm not too sure if uh, yeah, if we were going too long to a to a pack and, and, and not really having crummers around or, or what, but the, every time that it would drop to the ground, it didn't seem like we were there. It seemed like they were always there. They had the numbers back. Obviously, they had Hearn that was sitting back in, in defense, sort of ready for uh, to sort of, you know, be the, be the loose man. But, yeah, I mean, without being able to, to, to force anyone onto a lead or anything, it was just kicking to packs and, and it's just entry after entry after entry in that last quarter. And, you know, it was, it's, it's so frustrating when it's just, you know, we, we did it doing it so perfectly before and now we just we just can't seem to drag it around to, you know, to, to jag a goal. And it's just, oh, I just found it so frustrating. And especially when Peter did that, it was just, he did it, deflated everything. Everyone just sort of stopped. Yeah. Look, we've had a couple of tweets in. Nicholas Till has tweeted in his love and hate. Uh, his love is that monster handball from Archie, which I've got to say was, I haven't seen a handball like that for about 20 years. It was incredible. And uh, his hate was Robbie being deliberately tripped, um, yet nothing mentioned about it. No fines, no anything, which um, you know, is, is pretty pretty strange as well. And uh, Port Adelaide 1870, he says, uh, there's a fine line between high risk and high reward. Our mids run forward and the pressure on the kick goes up. Um, then we cough it up inside 50. Yeah, well said. But just, just on that trip, I don't know if you followed the uh, running battle we had with a couple of West Coast fans about it on the forum today. They... Seem to believe that when you slow it down, uh, McGovern actually hit Robbie Gray in the hip or the upper thigh, and it should have been play on. And our own Russell Liebert Hamble concurred. So I'm not sure what game I'm watching where you're allowed to throw yourself in front of an opponent's legs and deliberately kind of take them out of the play five metres off the ball, but there it is. I, I'm actually, uh, I, I did see the, uh, someone posted a, a GIF of it, and I've looked at it a few times, and yeah, I don't know. If I was the defender and I, I did that, I would have thought, geez, that was a pretty good, uh, <laughs> was a pretty good uh, shepherd, I think. I don't know. I don't know if I'd classify it as a trip. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He didn't catch him below the, the legs. And I know that he sort of just threw his whole body in front of him. But I don't know if you can call it a free. I think that Robbie did go for a bit of a dive. And I think the umpire just saw, saw a bit through him. I don't know. I don't think I'll be, oh, be liked for that. But yeah, I, I don't think it was a, a trip, to be honest with you. Oh, controversial. Who who invited you on, Hef? Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's uh, get on to our review. And look, it was round six at Adelaide Oval, Port versus West Coast, in front of our best Mother's Day crowd of thirty eight thousand five hundred and eight people. And we lost by ten points, ten goals, eight to eleven goals, twelve. Uh, Robbie Gray kicked three, and Wingard with two. They were the only multiple goal scorers. I think it's probably fair to split this up into two halves and talk about the first half a bit to begin with because I actually thought we did play some pretty decent footy um, up to halftime. Yeah, we definitely looked like the better team uh, in the first half. Um, we did start out sluggish in the start of most quarters, I thought, but uh, yeah, we, uh, 
it was basically our defence versus their defence um, in, the, in that first. And, you know, we, we defended really well. Um, they defended really well. But it was the midfield um, of, of both sides that sort of ended up battling it out, I think. And uh, they uh, probably had a few more like the Prittis and, and Marston, which, um, and Shuey as well, even though he didn't get too many disposals. When he did, they were just, they were just really deadly, um, deadly sort of disposals to, to, you know, really direct and, um, he ended up with a couple of goals as well. So um, that was, uh, yeah, the first half it was, I was thinking that we were, we were pretty right. I was sitting back at halftime thinking, no dramas, you know. We'll, we've uh, we'll seemed like we've got this in the bag and we'll, we'll end up coming home pretty strong, but it didn't, didn't seem to happen. Mm. What about you, Tribe? How were you feeling at halftime? Uh, not too bad. I think I went for a beer and I had a hot dog and uh, <laughs> that was where it began and ended. Um <laughs> Yeah, look, from the get-go, I um, I just want to know when West Coast, this West Coast midfield learned how to kick. I mean, yeah. you know, for the last two or three years, you know, let's go through the list. You know, Prittis, Marston, uh, Shuey, Gaff, uh, Wellingham. I mean, these guys were their prime movers. I mean, even Dom Sheed is just, you know, well, I think is a mediocre to just a mediocre to good kick. And they just seem to surgically move it from one end to the other with, absolute ease and I think I mean if it caught me by surprise sitting in the stand having the aforementioned hot dog I can't you know I shudder to think how the uh how our boys felt about it and you know even after we kicked four goals in a row West Coast just they didn't seem fussed they didn't seem stressed they just put their head down they kept going and last year that wouldn't have happened if we got a four goal run on at Adelaide Oval we were going to win and win handsomely and West Coast didn't buckle their skills didn't drop away they kept getting numbers to the contest. And, look, uh, I mean, we've said that Wines and Pollock are out, but, you know, we, we shouldn't be losing to this West Coast team. And while they have improved, we just didn't seem to have an answer when they decided to go up a gear. Yeah. I mean, West Coast outs are very significant. They've probably got one of the worst injury lists in the league at the moment. So, But, look, I mean... <laughs> Their midfield's probably the best part of their, their side at the moment. And I do agree, their skills have gone up a, an extra notch compared to the last couple of years. And you know, they've always been good at winning the clearances and winning the contested ball, but they just can't use it on the outside after that. But, I mean, in the end, I was feeling pretty happy at halftime. I thought, you know, it's you know we're not playing all that well, but, you know, it's probably going to end up being a, a five to six goal, fairly uneventful, you know, win that you sort of go... Well, we won, and that's about it. And then you forget about it, you know, a couple of days later, and, and that's it. But I don't know. I mean, I guess there was always that thought in the first quarter. We we came out really sluggish, and there was that thought of, oh, is it going to be one of these days? And and I guess it turned out to be one of those days, really. Mm. But I guess in the end, um, <clears throat> I thought um, Jasper Pittard had a pretty poor first half. I thought he was getting run around a lot by Elliot Yo and. I think if Elliot Yo, he must have had about five shots on goal in the first half and kicked one goal, two, and about three out on, on the full. And I mean, if he had a kick straight, West Coast would have been in front at half time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, Elliot Yo, I mean, he was absolutely fantastic against uh, GWS. I watched that last uh, week because I had a significant investment involved and promptly lost it by about 80 points. But, um, you know, Elliot Yo, one of those want-away players from Brisbane. He's essentially the groper Polek, if you will. And he has absolutely gone up. He's gone from a halfback flanker. He's moved through the midfield. He knows how to get his hands on it. And let me tell you, when he calibrates his sights and learns how to kick, as we've talked about, once he joins the other West Coast players in raising his skills, he'll be quite an accomplished midfielder, I think. And we were lucky that he just happened to be off his game because, as, as you say... I mean, it would have uh, been probably a two to four goal lead uh, to West Coast on balance at halftime. So, yeah. No, that's right. Well, look, uh, let's go into the second half. Where did it all go wrong? We sort of came out pretty sluggish in the third quarter, and it's not the first time this year that we've done that. No. Um, yeah, we, we come out uh, slow again in that in that third quarter, and... Um... We sort of let him get a bit of a, a run on, and uh, it finished with uh, yeah Kennedy getting that that mark right in the uh, on the siren, which thankfully he missed. But um, 
it was uh, it was really frustrating to sit there again and sort of see this. Uh, as you said, we were so casual at half time, and then sitting there and and seeing it sort of fall away right in front of us. Um, yeah, they they just set up all those uh, all those stoppages really well. Like I said, they had they had someone right right there at the back waiting for uh, for the entry out, and they were just able to to spread and. And they used the they used the wings every time they went up the wing and and uh, they forced us to do the same thing. You know, we, we weren't able to use the corridor pretty much at all throughout the game. It was um it was all uh, all up the wing and then we'd we'd kick and it'd go out of bounds or or they'd kick and go out of bounds. They'd sit up again in the stoppage and they'd have someone there again at the back and and they'd dish it out and they'd they'd able to you know move it straight into to their forward and forward fifty. But um if it wasn't for our defence, I mean were, I think that we would have definitely lost that game by a lot more than than what we did. Um, they 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 fought the whole game. Even that when we were down and our chips were down, they they were, they kept standing up and they were there every time. And you know they'd work it out amongst each other and they still stifled our, our movement out of the fence. But um, uh, you know, like the likes of uh, of Homsch and um, and uh, who else got some rebounds? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, it was Jonas and he got a few rebounds. Uh, Bobby Carlo got a lot of rebounds as well. And they they all sort of gelled together and they. They yeah kept us in it, but um, but it was looking, yeah. And at the end of that third quarter, it was it started looking a bit ominous. I mean, our defence kept us in the game, no doubt about that. And I think probably four of my top five players were our defenders, and which is probably a strange thing to say when you lose. I mean, you you probably don't expect that, but I mean, Carlisle, Trengove, uh, Cracker, they were just unbeatable. Um, and if we didn't have them on the park, we would have lost by a hell of a lot more, I think. But um. Yeah, I don't know. We we just seem to have trouble getting it out of their forward zone, and and it's been an issue all year. I think it was uh, seventeen to six inside fifties in that third quarter, and well, teams are now successfully shutting us down um, and shutting out any chance of us being able to go end to end. And you know, they zone probably twenty five to thirty meters back from what teams were doing last year, meaning that we need to kick short from the kick ins. We aren't able to do that sort of end to end quick goal from you know, which takes about ten seconds to go from the kick in to the to the forward line. Um, and in the end, we've resorted back to the old let's kick it sideways 15 metres to the pocket and lock ourselves into kicking it in one direction before hoofing it 15 metres to a contest with 15 people thing, which um, is just entirely frustrating. And the worst thing about that is that, um, unfortunately, our tolls aren't good enough to actually become the get-out-of-jail-free card, which is what um, you know Laid and Wakeland and Primus and, and Meaty and, and Chad used to be able to do um, and you knew that if you kicked it to them, they'd be able to mark it eight times out of ten. And I don't think we really have anyone in the side at the moment where you can just kick and hope, and you know that they're going to mark it on the other end. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we had Patrick Ryder as almost a stay-at-home forward when he wasn't relieving Loby in the rock. And, you know, when he's up one end and we just can't get it into him, he's uh, essentially no good. And it did surprise me that with Schultz injured, we didn't resort to having Schultz uh, camped in the square. And having uh, Ryder, you know, maybe being that relieving mark across halfback and wing. But I was just looking at the score progression uh, on that uh, lovely website, AFL Tables, that all of us still starts from. And from the 14-minute mark in the second quarter when Jay Schultz kicked the goal, which was our fourth of four goals for the quarter, uh, we had Matthew Loby kick our next goal at the 11-minute mark, mark of the third quarter. And then we had to wait for Chad Wingard at the 10-minute mark of the last quarter to get our next one. So... I mean, that's what, about almost a quarter, quarter and a half of football, we were able to score two goals. And it doesn't matter who you play in this league, you're going to get beaten. And in that time, as we know, West Coast absolutely avalanched us and they could have kicked a ton more. I mean, they had rushed behinds and behinds and Kennedy missed a a few shots at goal. Kennedy with one arm, might I add. And uh, really, you've, you've really just got to look at this second half performance and try to deconstruct it and find out where we've gone wrong and how we can improve it. And as you said, Maka, it's quite obvious that we're not coping with this new basketball quarter-court press that everybody's employing now. I mean, mm. even even poor teams are trying to get their entire 18 men into one quarter of the ground to try and put pressure on opponents. And by having two or three outriders sitting another 20 or 30 metres back, that quick relieving kick for Matt White for Jake Need in the past, for Chad Wingard, uh, Schultz getting on the end of it, you know, right at the other end. I mean, that's just not actually able to happen, even if we did have the skills and the quick ball movement because of the way teams are setting up. So, 
have we been pantsed strategically? So the wheels turned over the summer. Everybody's looked at the way we've done it and they've worked us out. And now we're stuck with a game plan that isn't effective as of yet. Or is it just, we're just, you know, in poor form. Our, our players, for whatever reason, be they underdone, be they carrying niggles, like Ebert getting a knock when he was on fire. Uh, Wingard against Hawthorne getting a knock when he was on fire. Are we just in one of those periods where we're just struggling for a bit of luck on top of a bit of poor form psychologically we're a little bit flat and will it just turn will we just play ourselves into form over the coming weeks i hope so i mean teams evolve and we need to evolve with them and that's a challenge for the coaching staff and i don't know i get i think we're almost there i mean again We've just come off beating Hawthorne and North Melbourne and the Crows, and we, and we look pretty good doing so. Even though we had these same issues, you know, we, we played some absolute blistering football in those three games. Um, and look, losses happen. Maybe this is just one of those games where you just lose. Your head's not in the right spot. I did mention in the uh, in the preview podcast that I was concerned about um, our mentality going into this game after such a huge start to the season whether we would suffer a little bit of a mental letdown. And I think maybe we did a little bit. Maybe we thought it would just happen. I think maybe at halftime we came out a little bit too cocky um, and thought that it would just happen. And we started sort of leerizing quite a bit and trying to be a bit too fancy. Um, and I think that's a bit of a concern and, and something that the coaches need to sort of look at and, and try and um, try and resolve. Um, in terms of strategy, have we been found out? I don't think we have. I think we're almost there, to be honest. Yeah, like I was thinking about Justin Westhoff and he's, if, if you were to go down the track of thinking that perhaps strategically we've been found out a little bit or teams have caught up to what we're doing, Justin Westhoff seems to be the canary in the coal mine in so much as his form's really suffered. I mean, when we got Ryder, everybody just thought happy days. It's going to release Justin Westhoff. He can roam all over the ground. The issue is with this new quarter court press that everybody's employing is that there's no kick behind play anymore. So when Justin Westhoff wheels into the midfield, he wheels into defence, he's up forward, there's no space for him to float to contests anymore. Everybody's accountable. There's 36 men jammed into one uh, side of the forward 50 or the back 50. And I just think he can't thrive on getting the loose ball or or arriving late to contests like he used to be. And getting him involved is going to be the big challenge going forward because when Westhoff doesn't perform, we just... We're just nowhere. Yeah, stagnant. He has really struggled this year, and you know, last year he he went through a, a purple patch at the start of the year and had a great end to the season as well. And even his poor games last year were still pretty good. He was still taking you know eight or nine marks and, and getting twenty odd touches a game, and and at least you know being busy. But this year he's just barely touched the ball and not been near it at all. And and I guess that's a challenge for him to try and overcome. Um, As you said, I I guess everyone thought that with Ryder coming in, um, it would release Westhoff and suddenly we've got this three-prong, you know, tall forward attack that we were all hoping for and it was going to to win us lots of games. But apart from last week, it probably hasn't fired just yet. And we we tried to put him in the the midfield in the second quarter, I think it was, um, sort of uh, maybe the start of the second quarter and he... Uh, he, I don't know. We we tried that as well in the preseason. It didn't seem to come off too well. Um, and uh, you know, couple of that with his with his set shots that he still seems to be struggling with. I mean, yeah, that he, it was a fairly easy shot, wasn't? It? He was about maybe thirty out on a fairly tight angle. But you know, he he's uh, he's been a bit disappointed this year, as you said. But um, yeah, I mean, he just needs a bit of, bit of consistency in, in in some sort of role that he plays. You know, even if he's just gonna not be a, a roaming sort of versatile player, you just stick him in one spot and make him good at that because he's not he's not consistent in anything. It's probably not doing anything for his uh, for, you know confidence, just not not being able to find a, a place for himself. Look, I know we uh, we all like to deny that it's a bit of a thing, but uh, we are now four wins from 15 matches in post-showdown games since 2007, and we've won just uh, one of our last nine. Is this now a thing? Well, it is. I mean, the stats have, have said it. If you heard Ken talk in his post-match, he, he said, well, the stats don't lie. I mean, it's, it's clearly it's something that um, whether we want to admit it or not, it, it, it's affecting us in, in some way. And, um, you know... Uh, we've got to overcome it. It's, it's all just mental. I mean, it, sure, we're going to be 
we're going to be sore or we're going to be maybe a little bit slower than the game before. But um, that shouldn't be any different to any other week. And we, we got to, if we're going in with that, that tired of mindset into a showdown that we, we can't come out the other end and, and find ourselves a win, then we must be going into the showdown with a wrong mindset because, you know, you can't be suffering that after every single, every single showdown. That's just that's too consistent. Yeah, at this point, I'd like to send a cheerio to dormant port poster Art Vandalay, who, uh, <laughs> as we all know, was quite hot on uh, this very topic uh, throughout the week and was largely scoffed at. But as I said to him, when is he ever wrong? Um, and as it proved to be, as it proved to be, he absolutely got it right. We mm. had the showdown flu or the showdown hangover. And, uh, you know, you think back to the great moments of showdown flu history, such as the Gold Coast game in 2011, coming off that wonderful win over Adelaide in 2011 when Primus gave the big spray and it looked like the start of, you know, something happening. And we came out the week after and lost by 40 points uh, after being 40 points up to a team that hadn't registered a win. So mm. it's it's been a thing for a long time and people can write it off as a coincidence. Yes, local derbies are big matches in any sport. I mean, people say they're just another game, but we know they're not. Um, you get the hype during the week. You dread losing... It is just four points, but it's a pretty handy four points. Um, but clearly, you know, as you've said, Hefo, and as you said with the stats, Macca, we've clearly got an issue with it, and we've got to rectify it quick smart. Well said. Look, we've had a bit of discussion on Twitter um, about Gus. Uh, Bevan tweeted in saying that he hated the knob sitting behind him continually bagging Gus, oblivious to all the hard work he was doing. Um, and a couple of others have also mentioned that they heard quite a lot of criticism for, for Gus in the stands. Hamo5 also tweeted in the same thing. Um, and also uh, Port Adelaide 1870. And Ryan Simmons as well said Gus steps up when games are on the line. How did we see his game on the weekend? I actually thought he was very good. He, he did play well. Um, he, got a, he got a fair few touches and he took some, some marks where he needed to and gave away a few, uh, few frees, but he, he gets them back as well. Um, I think the the main issue with Monfries is he's been drafted or he's been brought over as a as a small forward and um, he plays in the forward line and and you look at his at his numbers and you can you just can't you can't get away with having well, I can't anyway seeing him have four goals for the is it four goals for the whole year he's had playing I think so yeah over, yeah no, you just you, you can't accept that as a as a supporter getting this this guy that you know you know it's been widely uh, sort of um, posted about how, how much he's earned and how much we, we got him over for and um, how sort of vital he is to, you know, the the, uh, the older sort of group of or blokes that we have. And you, you just uh, sort of question, um, is, he, is he right? Is, he, is, this, is, this what, is this what we've gotten ourselves into? Is, is he going to get better than this or is he just in a slump? You know, last year everyone thought he was injured, but... You know, he he come out and he played some good games later later half of the year, and he thought, oh no, he's he's all good, no worries. But, but yeah, the, I don't know, he's a bit hot and cold, and everyone's sort of a bit right to be a little bit uh, skeptical of of how good he's he's going to be. Still, is he still going to get better than this? I don't know. Mm. I think his role's changed a little bit, and he's not really that goal kicking forward anymore, um, like what sort of Robbie Gray and and Chad Wingard are. Um, he's only taken four marks inside 50 for the year in, in what, six games. So I think that says to me that he's not really spending a whole lot of time inside the forward 50. He seems to be playing a bit more of a, a high half forward, almost a, 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 as an extra midfielder, I guess you'd say, um, and delivering the ball inside 50. Um, you know, his inside 50 stats are, are a bit better. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe we're not having him in the side as, as that sort of goal-kicking small forward anymore. But yeah, I, guess, I guess, does he bring enough to the table if he's not kicking goals? That's a very good question. I mean, I get the feeling that both he and White are both playing different roles. You know, they're almost like a Pagan's Paddock type setup, you know, for the middle-aged people among us who remember the halcyon days of North Melbourne. They were a long time ago. Um, Matthew White and Angus Monfries find themselves, you know, running up to the wing, doubling back. And I think... Um, Am I wrong in saying that Angus Monfries was moved on to, was it Elliot Yo or one of their other halfback midfielders to try and negate some of their drive in the second half? 
I think so. I think he went on to Brad Shepard, I reckon. Brad Shepard, yeah, it was one of them. They're all pretty much the same, the West Coast yeah. back line. They, <laughs> I can't tell them apart out of a lineup of one. But, um, yeah, and really, I mean, Angus Monfries did everything but get us over the line, Hawthorne prelim style in that last quarter. He absolutely lifted. He took some courageous marks. He tried hard. And it's just there was, what, maybe two or three people came with him? I mean, you know, he is on big money. We'd ideally like him to be kicking, say, 30 to 35 goals a year and giving off another 20 to 25. But the way football is these days, if you can't run through the middle as a small forward, you're almost redundant. Yeah. Mm. He does provide that. And, look, I think he's had a, a okay start to the season. I thought he was fantastic against North Melbourne. And I thought he was pretty good on the weekend as well. But I don't know. I mean, I just like his courage. I mean, to go headfirst into that contest in the last couple of minutes. And, I mean, God, he looked like he got murdered out there. But, you know, got back up and kicked a goal and, and all that stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan of Gus. He took a huge mark going back with a flight late, didn't he, as well? Yeah. Where he ran hard to the wing and took a grab. And I think we butchered the result. It was that um, to Pittard or it was right before that moment when Pittard shanked it out on the full. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this myth that, you know, opposition fans... I mean, Angus wants, wants freeze. Angus, you know, more freeze. I mean, what game are you watching, you peanut gallery? I mean, <laughs> Angus Monfries is probably one of the most... Pound for pound, the most fearless player in the league when it comes to running back with the flight and putting his head over the ball. And yep. yes, he played for some free kicks when he was, you know, learning the learning the caper alongside Matthew Lloyd and thought, well, geez, if he could kick almost a thousand goals doing it, then I might get a piece of this. But since he's been de-essened and, and he's, you know, put his head over the ball and, you know, made it his uh made it his number one priority, he's been fantastic when it comes to those things. And, you know, I just don't maybe it's because he's a pretty boy. People look at him and see that he's, you know, a poker player extraordinaire and he's from Sturt, you know, he's the quintessential Sturt pretty boy. But, you know, he plays his football hard and he plays his football tough. And, you know, I, I think we should back him in and hopefully we hit the board and continue doing all those little things that are making him so invaluable when we're going well. That's it. Well, look, we've got a tweet from uh, Port Adelaide1870 who was uh, asked a bit of a question about Hamish Harlett. He's asked, uh, what is Hammer's role? Looks like he's lacking a bit of confidence. His leg should be a weapon from half-back. Look, on face value, Hammer's uh, stats on the weekend were pretty impressive. You know, 25 touches, 10 tackles. Um, but whether he had the influence that he should have with those touches, um, I guess, comes under question. Yeah, he probably could have. Uh, I find that I, I lose Hammer in, in the game sometimes. I, I, I sort of look back at a game and I think, oh, well, who played well? And I, you think about... Hamish and you go, did I see Hamish? I think I saw Hamish, you know, he, oh, he did that, he did this, he did that, you know, but um, yeah, he probably isn't um, quite taking the, the ball by the horns like you'd, you'd expect him to, and I can't remember who wrote it today, someone was talking on one of the one of the forums and, and they were saying that, you know, you want more from from a player like this in, in at, at his age, you know, with, with the weapons that he's got, with the body that he's got, you know, he's got himself finally rid of injury and um, you really want him to, to sort of push forward now and become one of those uh, in, in the you know in the same sort of light you have Robbie Gray and, and Travis Boke. You want people to, to think, oh, yeah, poor Adelaide is Travis Boke, Robbie Gray and Hamish Hartlett and, you know, a couple of others, yeah. Brad Ebert. And um, he's probably not quite at that, at that point yet of everyone's expectation of him. He, uh, he almost vacillates between and, you know, he, this is – Probably going to sound harsh, but hear me out. He almost vacillates between Bryce Gibbs when he's being quiet or he's not having an influence, you know. Silky smooth mover, lovely disposal, knows how to win his own ball, um, knows how to create line-breaking run, but just doesn't have an influence when he's playing poorly. But when he plays super well, and this is what we probably should expect from him all the time because of his age bracket and his skills, is, you know, I'm trying to think of a comparison for someone who consistently plays well that has Hamish's skill set. You know, he's, he's not quite Judd. Um, I can't really think of anybody who has that unique ability to hit goals from six, has the lateral movement, wins or breaks lines. But um, Eddie Betts. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, or not. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we, probably, we probably expect 
more of Hammer that he can provide for whatever reason. You know, he did get that injury early in the season and we know that he's had a history of niggles and probably running within himself. Like when Hamish runs at full speed, he's lightning quick. But for the last three to four years, he's probably run within himself because of his soft tissue issues. And I'm not sure whether when he's not having an influence, he's just going at maybe 70 or 80%. And when he's playing well and he's dominating and he's kicking goals from 60 and he's really stretching out the legs, that's when he's dominant. And I'm not sure whether uh, when we're playing poorly, he's got that ability to individually step up into that bracket because he always seems to play exceptionally well when the team plays well. And when we're struggling, he's just down that little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. What did I just say? That was a massive ramble. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely we need more out of him. I mean, that miss from 15 meters out, there were people on the Port Adelaide Facebook saying, oh, it was windy. You know, I'd like to see you kick that goal. It's Hamish Hartlett kicking from 15 meters out more or less straight run. He should nod that through with the bridge of his nose. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. incredible. That was an absolute gimme. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for someone of Hamish Hartlett's ability. I mean... And look, that, that, that probably summed up our day, to be honest. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, and then he had the goal to point to the post. Like, you know, oh, he's incredibly honest. No, Hamish. Just pull your shirt over your head and do the big aeroplane to the other end of the ground. Con the umpire into, you know, thinking it was a goal. But... Yeah, I mean, we just need, when we're playing poorly, Hamish is one of those barometer players whose form tends to fluctuate depending on how the team goes. More positives. How bloody good was Cracker on the weekend? What a breakout performance. He was good, yeah. Um, I'm not his biggest fan, but no, he was he was very good. Um, he was able to uh, yeah, really take it on. He was attacking the game really aggressively, and, and whenever there was a, a ball to be won, uh, you know he was he was definitely there, and you know just his intensity at the ball was, it was incredible. Um, some of the skillful things that he did moving out of defence was was great, and um, I, I think that uh, you couple that with with Impy coming in and playing as well as as Cracker in that defence, or maybe one of them moving up the ground. I can see them both in the same team, and I've I've always always been, uh, yeah, not a fan of Cracker, but 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 uh, sorry, not not a fan of Cracker, but just not a fan of him coming in and, and MP losing out a spot because of his uh, uh, yeah his addition to the similarities to the team, yeah. Um, yeah. But I can see them both in the same team now. I can see you know the, both of them have great run, both of them have have great awareness, and and can. Uh, can really move that ball out of our defensive 50. And um, yeah, I, w- I want to see it. I want to see it really happen. And, and, uh, and I want Cracker to stay in the, in the side. But, yeah, I, I think they'd also want, want Impy in there too. I think uh, with Pollock out of the team and White under a bit of an injury cloud, I think Impy needs to come in and play on a wing. I think, um, you know, to see him sort of put on the afterburners and, and burn off some players and, and run down the wing and, have a bit of an impact um, further up the field uh, would be some sort of sight to see, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. I can't disagree with that. I mean, uh, you know, this we've all we've heard about it before. The story of Cracker is absolutely fantastic, and if he keeps building on his fitness as he keeps playing, builds on his confidence, feels like he belongs. I mean, he should be a fixture across half back for the next, you know, until he's thirty-one, thirty-two, really, if he stays fit. But yeah, if, yeah. if Impy can come in. They can kind of rotate, but also release Broadbent into the middle. Like Broadbent was just anonymous uh, on the weekend. And uh, mm. I'd like to see Broady run through the guts at the odd clearance as well, just to freshen him up a bit and maybe change his role. And when you've got four or five of these guys, they've all got pace, they've all got poise, they can all use the ball brilliantly. I mean, that's the cornerstone of the Geelong and the Hawthorne defences. They don't have, I mean, shell makers aside, he doesn't count. But, um, you know, they, they've all got these. Medium players who can defend, they can run, lateral movement, spot-up vision. And uh, if we can have Cracker continue to develop, bring on Impy on the wing this week. Absolutely agree with that. I'd, I'd have him replacing White personally, as I said today on the board. Um, you know, hopefully we can have them rotate through there while Polex out and give us just that poise, the speed, the vision, all the stuff we've been lacking, really, when we haven't been playing well. Mm. I mean, Brody's another one who probably hasn't been in great form to start the year. He's been a bit down, and we don't seem to be using him as much. 
even though he often spends a lot of time as the as the spare defender. Uh, we don't seem to be using his uh, his skills all that much. And look, he's had one contested possession in the last two weeks total. So I think he needs to be someone that... Um, and that's pretty disappointing, really, because Brody was a bloody good inside midfielder for a long time there before he went to the half-back line. And I, I just think he needs to be doing a little bit more. Yeah, we, definitely. Not... Sorry, Travis. Go, go, Hef. No, go. I, was, uh, I don't think he involved himself enough in that game at all, no. Um he, he fumbled in times where you just needed him to take it. And, uh, yeah, he, he did get lost back there. I mean, there was a lot of defenders that were really um, hitting their straps and, and doing the, the work, but he, he sort of didn't really get involved in that. And, um, yeah, I feel that, uh, you know, all these disposals, yeah, like you said, they were all uncontested on, on the weekend. Um, and he, he did hit his targets, but, yeah, he just did not get anywhere near as enough, enough of the ball as, uh, as what he could have got. He could have made space and, and been that, that entry out of um, out of defence and, and being a you know just a spot up kick to to move it along the chain, but he just didn't get involved. I mean, we're not risking turning him into Stephen Salapek, are we? Oh, that's and a fair I say, question. I say I say that with the greatest respect to Sal, and I also say that with the greatest respect to Brody. I love them both, but as you say, Macker, I mean. Three, four, five years ago, Matthew Broadbent was looking like an absolute peach of a steal as an inside-outside midfielder. And, you know, when it works, when he has an influential game from halfback, he looks absolutely fabulous. But there's just too many games where a man of his skill, size, and ability just just drifts along anonymously and just has no impact. And, you know, do we have to start rotating him back through the middle to get him recalibrated? I think so. I mean, it, it certainly couldn't hurt, I guess. And, you know, adding an extra midfielder to that mix if things aren't going to plan like they did on the weekend, um, again, I mean, it couldn't hurt, really. I mean, that game, that game was absolutely set up for Brody to receive it at about 60 and kick it into the post, like against Carlton. It was just, <laughs> it was absolutely set up for that type of heartbreaker, wasn't it? And it just, you didn't yeah. see him bob forward. No. Look, anything else uh, to talk about for the power game? Anyone want to touch on on Ryder and and Loby or I think that well, I don't think they neither of them had huge games. I think that um, I just noticed that Ryder's his work, even though he probably didn't play his greatest game, he, his work at ground level in um, contested areas was something that I marvelled at. He was uh, he went to grounds if he was. On the ground, he was able to, to get the ball out, even though he might have been you know, under a player's wing. He'd, he'd get it out and dish it out, and, and we'd get a, uh, away from the sort of the contest. And um, I feel that he keeps his feet really well. I'd, I've just noticed. I've probably just been marvelling at him because he's, he's our newest sort of toy. But, um, yeah, he's, he's level. He, he's ground ball. I hate to say ground, ground ball, but, um, he's, yeah, his work on the ground is, is, is incredible, and he's, um, he just he seems to be in tune with, uh, with the midfielders um, already, and, and they must have just been working really hard over the off-season to, to sort of calibrate that. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of make light of his, uh, his, 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 ball, his ground ball. He's, it's incredible. I, I've did, never noticed a ruckman with such ground ball uh, efforts before. Yeah. I mean, Loby's fantastic at the ground ball as well and, and certainly in laying tackles and, and following up his work. Um, has it worked so far, the, the two-prong ruck duo? I'm, I'm not sure it has. I mean, we're, we're constantly playing to losing ruckman. Mm. Um, I mean, Loby, I know he's been injured to start the year, but I mean, he's just got to do a bit more in the middle, to be honest. Well, who is Sinclair? I've just looked at the stats and seen that Sinclair had 24 hitouts. Yeah. I mean, Loby and Ryder had 29 between them. Mm. What's going on there? <laughs> Nick now that's Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing. I mean, it just seems like Loby's lost a little bit of leap, and he's never been a, a leaping ruckman to begin with, but he just seems pretty stationary at the moment, and, and is just sort of losing himself in the contest. Again. It's almost we... like he's reverted back to 2012 Loby, where... All he could do was sort of try and negate the other guy from getting a touch on the ball, and that's about it. Well, is he still troubled by that quad injury that he carried into the season that the club didn't really tell us what it was about, you know? He was on radio while uh, last week, I think it was, and he, he sort of said that he was feeling a lot better from it. He probably said that um, 
he's, he's a uh, couple of games that he played at the start were you know it was a little bit niggly but you know he ended up uh, feeling all right last week and he was I thought he was probably set for a you know back to to a lady best but but uh, obviously maybe he has a couple more weeks to go Look, I guess the last question is, uh, is it cause for concern? I mean, we saw GWS beat Hawthorne on the weekend as well. Is it just a case of, you know, the teams are pretty even this year? Well, uh, the second hate that I was I had in case someone took my first one was big calls uh, regarding our season already. And look, I think that um, if you were going to look at the stats and you were going to say yourself after six rounds, where would you like us to be? Um, either 3-3 three, three or 4-2 would have been probably the, the popular answers and I think if you look at you know us playing West Coast after after a showdown you, you might have thought we could have could have lost that but um, I don't think there's great cause for concern it's so it's so even the the playing field it's incredible how there's there's a you know we're a win away from second place basically and and, and there's everyone up to up to you know the seven of them they're all on on four two yeah I mean it's it's looking like Fremantle are you know, the Geelong of the year where they just look absolutely primed in all facets to be dominant and you can't see where their next loss is coming from. And I think maybe the next pack of teams, like your Sydneys, your Port Adelaides, uh, your Hawthorns, I mean, they're the ones who, you know, on our best day, we will be competitive and we can beat each other. But, um, yeah, Hawthorne 3-3 with a few injuries. We're 3-3 with a few injuries. I think Sydney 4-2. Yeah. Yeah, Sydney are four two. So, I mean, they're not exactly firing on all cylinders, having lost to Footscray. So, you know, I mean, it's it's a very long season, and you're right. There's a lot of hot takes from week to week about our results. But um, mm, if you're playing the long game, you'd think Fremantle would have to absolutely fall in a hole to not have the minor premiership and one of those home prelims stitched up. And uh, it's up to us to hopefully beat. Hawthorne, Sydney, and a couple of those other teams, maybe even West Coast, who could be a bolter, regardless of all their injuries, out of uh, second. Look, let's uh, move on and talk about the SANFL, because we had uh, quite a, a decent result there on the weekend. It was round six, and we played uh, Sturt at Albert and Oval on Saturday, and it was a good hard-fought victory. Um, the match ebbed and flowed at the quarter-time breaks, it seems, and, and Port won by eight points, 10 goals, 15 to 11 goals, one. Um, bit of a strange game. I mean, it seemed to be really affected by the wind. There were 17 goals kicked to the southern end and just four kicked to the uh, to the northern end for the day. It was an incredible game to, to witness. Um, Sturt, they couldn't, couldn't, they simply could not kick a single goal uh, going into the breeze, and, and you'd see them... Uh, you know they they would press. They'd be pressing um, in the you know the second quarter and, and the fourth quarter, and and they'd, they'd kick it high and they'd kick it long, and it'd it'd fall up in the wind, and it'd just drop straight back down into one of our defenders, and uh, and off we'd go again. Um, it was yeah, it was uh, it was good that we were able to kick you know all right into the breeze, which probably saved us from um, from getting a bit of a a bit of a walloping again, but. Uh, it was it was old uh, old mate Zane Kirkwood and um, and Corey Beard were two of the of the best for uh, for Sturt and they really stood up and you really hate to see those blokes moved on and some of the uh, the ones that we got aren't too bad but they're the ones you would like to have kept around the club. Um, sure. I think uh, Sammy Goldhorn had a, had had a whole bunch of touches uh, again. Um, he looked he looked okay. He didn't look as probably as good as what um, Amon and and, and MP did look. Um, I like Jesse Palmer having a. He had a couple of shots on goal, and he was pretty. Uh, you could spot him around the ground. He was getting a lot of the lot of the ball, and he was he was moving pretty well. And um, like yeah. so, Wagner Wagner had a few runs up the up the ground. He he does have a lot of a lot of speed, and you do you do see it at a SNFL level the difference um, that he has. And you know when you have yeah Wagner doing big runs from half back, and you have Impey doing big runs from half back, and even Darcy Ben Jones had. This one, he, he was, it was like it was a hundred percent Pittard esque. It was a brilliant run from <laughs> from half back, and we all looked at each other, all of us that were there, and we thought, God, if he if he can do that, he's that that is that is Pittard. He's gonna be he's gonna be another Pittard. So um, it was some really great signs from from some of the youngsters. But um, 
unfortunately the the tools couldn't really get too much uh, too much done again, and it was a bit unfortunate seeing. I hate seeing Shaw in, in the back lines. It, it makes me really angry because you, you really, even though he hasn't really had a chance to show himself again this year, and and you want him to to, to show us what he can do in that forward line because uh, he's he's one of the ones that he's got to, he's got to step up or else you know we've got that massive gap in in age between our our tall forwards and. Um, you want to see what he can do at this point of his career. Look, I think it's probably good for, uh, for Wagner's uh, confidence to, uh, to get a fair bit of the bowl after a couple of sort of down weeks in the last few weeks. And look, for him to kick the winner in the last quarter would, would do his confidence um, you know, no harm at all. No, no absolutely, harm at all. Absolutely. Yeah, he was, yeah that was a, it was a great kick. I couldn't, didn't think he'd kick it, and, um, but he did. And it, I, I, yeah, he grew a little bit in my books um, after this weekend, so... Keen to see him move on from here and move upwards. Look, I didn't actually see the game, but I just wanted to say, Corey Beard, 21 disposals, 12 marks, three goals. Zane Kirkwood, 17 disposals, two goals. No SANFL in SANFL, guys. Well said. I mean, <laughs> honestly, they want to keep sucking and complaining about the AFL and the system and all the rest of it. How about acknowledging all the guys that they've pilfered at a cut price rate? That's it. Yeah, and they're yeah, going to play, these guys are going to play for Sturt potentially for the rest of their careers, aren't they? They're not going anywhere. No. Unfortunately no, for them, that's right. yeah. No, yeah. well said. I thought uh, Jakey Need had some good success up forward, especially in the first half where we seemed to isolate him a little bit in the forward 50. Yeah, he moved and he made some good space. Um, he was able to make some, some space on the wing and um, and really uh, make himself an option. He, oh, there was this... This one time, I think he he just he was up against their ruckman. I think it might have been him or Darcy Byrne Jones, but they just turned him inside out and made him look stupid. Um, but uh, yeah, no, need he's uh, he he's been consistent. I think back in the SNFL, he's he's done he's done all right. He's he's probably half put his his end up for for selection again. But um, but yeah, not not too sure uh, not too sure where to go from here with with Needy, whether he gets back in the side. Sort of sooner rather than later, or are they going to manage him again like last year? Look, Carl Amon, he had another good game. 20 touches, 9 marks. He's, uh, he just keeps pressing for selection. He does. And uh, you think with the soft soft draw, apparently, we've got coming up, you'd, you'd hope that he'd, uh, he'd, have a, he'd have a gig. I mean, it was, it was the, uh, the kept-back emergency last week, and you thought if Pollock comes out, he'd go straight in if he was a late change, and it didn't happen. The week before that, he was um, up there in the emergencies again. Um, he didn't get a shot, but he he keeps going back and he keeps knocking the door down. They're gonna um, they're gonna notice him, and you know we, we were there underneath the uh, where the coach, where the where the players and coaches all stand on that balcony, and they're all they'll see him. They know it. They they're seeing him every week out there, just uh, putting his putting his head over it and and uh, really showing some dash. So um, I'm looking forward to it, and I really hope that he just takes it and he just kills it at AFL level because he's got something real special about him. Yeah. Look, um, big, we've big just had a question come in from Tribe. Sam Cahoon, where do you reckon he's at, you guys? I mean, 25 disposals, 12 marks, four tackles, uh, 122 Dream Team points for those who are that way inclined. He superficially looks like he's played a really good game, but I've heard a little bit of scuttlebutt that he isn't as effective or perhaps isn't having the influence that we would have liked to see him step up to AFL level. Where do you see him? Yeah, Sam with his, um, his games are strange. You know, you, you see the stats and you think he must have just been on show. You must have just not been able to take your eyes off him. But um, he's a little bit like, like Hammer in that instance. You know, he gets a lot of the ball. And I think that Sam as a player, he's one of those players that, will always just be a magnet to the ball whether he's looking for it or not and um when he when he gets it he, he will you know he usually spot up someone and he, he'll have a good sort of uh little patch there but um you just i don't know i've been to all the home games bar one i think this year and um i haven't really seen him be a, a best on best on ground sort of performance but he's been in the best i mean you know he's, he's getting a lot of it and he's He's uh, he's sort of towering him up, and but he's just not shining like you'd you'd, you'd be thinking that he would. Mm, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. I mean, he, you know, as we know, he came back from the knee reconstruction, so perhaps, you know, we're all 
uh, marking him a little bit harshly. But, yeah, I mean, clearly he's still got the ball magnet quality. I mean, he hasn't lost that. So, yeah, hopefully he can start to become a little bit more effective and start knocking on the door for selection to back up the stats. That's it. Mm. Well, look, we'll uh, leave it there tonight, guys. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Hopefully next time we'll have a bloody win to talk about. <laughs> That's it. Yes, happy times. That's what we all want. Can I have That's one request uh, before yes. we go? Um, I'm just trying to follow the tweets in from Twitter, and I've noticed nobody's using hashtag PortFanRadio to put at the end of their tweets. So perhaps we could put out a call for future shows to use the hashtag PortFanRadio. Yep, I like that. Excellent. Yeah, hashtag Paul Fan Radio. Hashtag Fisting Rick. That'd be great. <laughs> hashtag Pooeket. Hashtag Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Look, we'll have our Who Am I question back um, on Thursday when Rick comes back. Um, I know everyone's sort of scratching their heads as to who it might be, but it is uh, a bit more obvious than what people think. Um, we've also done the draw for the two tickets to join both uh, Rick and myself in the RAA lounge for the Richmond game, which will also announce uh, the two winners for that on Thursday as well. So I guess until then, boys, can the pair. Yeah. Go the pair. Go Port. Goes forward again for Port Adelaide. No laughing matter for the Roos. Treadray. Oh, don't tell me. Oh, Treadray. Party time. And thank you very much. 